1: It's V-Week on ESPN as we continue Jim Balvano's fight against cancer.
2: Welcome to NFL Live, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. You're looking at SoFi Stadium as week 14 begins tonight. This is the site of the Rams and Raiders, and we'll start getting you ready for a great weekend of football today. As we welcome you into the show, Dan Orlovsky is here. You see Mina Kimes and Marcus Spears. No one waves better than Swagoo. Like, I don't even know exactly what that is, but it's so good. Because his hand covers the whole screen.
0: <laughs> Nina's doing it, too. It's like spirit <laughs> fingers. You All right. Know.
2: Adam Schefter is joining us as well, and that's where we begin. Let's check in at the Domino's pregame headquarters where Adam is standing by. The Rams claimed Baker Mayfield off waivers two days ago, and now just hours before their game versus the Raiders. Adam, what is the plan at quarterback?
3: Laura, they're going to walk out in pregame warmups, and they want to see how John Wolford, who's listed as questionable due to a neck injury, fares during pregame warmups. Once they get a chance to see how Wolford looks, how he feels, they can make a decision about who will start tonight. If Wolford is unable to go or not feeling right, then Baker Mayfield, who was claimed on waivers 48 hours ago, would be in line to start the Los Angeles Rams, but make no mistake about this. He's picked up the playbook, whatever he can of the playbook, faster than they thought. They've been more impressed than they thought over the last two days. He's certainly put his best foot forward. And I think no matter what happens, whether he starts tonight or doesn't, I think we're going to see some Baker Mayfield on the football field at some point tonight, just two days after he was claimed.
2: Yeah, uh, you just should have seen Dan's face right then. It, it's kind of amazing. I mean, it, all the storylines throughout this season, I, I do think this is one of the more interesting ones. And Adam, You told us earlier this week that a couple days ago when Baker was claimed, the playbook was sent over to his iPad by Sean McVay. He was, like, reading it on the plane over. The whole thing's pretty wild. We'll keep an eye on that. More news from Adam is coming. Let's get to the Dolphins, you guys, as we move here. Tua Tungabailoa looking for a bounce-back game after struggling mightily against the 49ers. Earlier this week on the show, Dan said wasn't a big deal. Didn't see his misses as that significant. While Marcus and R.C. disagreed, saying inaccuracy was concerning. Here's what Tua had to say.
3: There were uh, points, many points in the game that I, I wasn't uh, in the spot that I told the guys up front I would be in. And so, uh, therefore, kind of put myself in bad situations. There are also some, some plays that were missed uh, that I wish I could get back. So, no, can't, can't, can't be playing wishful, wishful football
2: you me get Tua some sunglasses for his media I like appearance. that sound, though. Yeah, it, it is, right? He Good. took ownership. And Good. he is coming off his worst performance of the season. But Sunday's matchup against the Chargers could give him a great opportunity to bounce back. He goes from playing a defense in the 49ers that plays a ton of zone coverage to a Chargers defense that leads the league in usage of man coverage. This season, Tua ranks first in QBR completion percentage Yards per attempt, first down rate, and touchdown rate against defenses in man coverage. So this could be the perfect recipe for Tua. But either way, Dan, how do you think the Dolphins can get their offense back on track? Well,
4: it, the, the mindset for Tua is don't play timid. timid. Like, I, slightly off last week, sure. And that can oftentimes force quarterbacks to play a little hesitant, like take the easy road. You know, maybe just take a check down or something here or there. Stay aggressive. Double down, you weren't that off last week versus a great defense. There's still a lot of really good football plays by Tua this past week, even in the midst of a game that statistically was his worst of the season. So the, really the mindset is remember all those great throws. Re- remember everything that's happened this season. Remember all the times you fit in last week. Because I think there's going to be opportunities against the Chargers secondary that misses pass off, poor communication, plays with proper or improper leverage at times. I remember being around Matthew at times, Matthew Stafford, and he would have games that – You know, statistically weren't great, and I would always be like, I wonder how he's going to respond. And I'll never forget, we were playing the Cardinals once, and he threw three picks in the first half, and I expected him to come out in the second half and play a little cautious. He ripped the whole shot for a touchdown in the very first place. So it's that mindset of I'm going to continue to be aggressive and and, and double down, so to speak.
5: Yeah, I totally agree, because there's nothing the Dolphins' offense needs to change. I think we all agree – The opportunities were actually there against San Francisco. Guys were getting open. Tua was just having an off day. And the opportunities will be here probably more so against the Chargers defense. I mean, you talked about how they play man coverage a lot. They're actually not bad at it. But where they struggle is, unfortunately, where the Dolphins thrive. The Chargers allow the third-highest QBR to quarterbacks to use play action. They allow the third-highest QBR over the deep middle of the field. I don't know if y'all have watched the Dolphins offense these days, but uh, that is pretty much what they measure in. So if my message to Tua, if I'm Mike McDaniel, is just trust the offense, trust the scheme. The sure. opportunities will be there. You can execute on it. We've seen you do it all year.
6: Yeah, y'all, and as much as we talk about him having an off day, we know that the rush impacted that. Like, And that's what your plan is as a yeah. defense, but dealing with what he was dealing with at the tackle positions. Like, I was critical of Tua. I said that moment felt a little bit too big for him but I also acknowledge that look this was the first situation this dude has been in with playoff atmosphere where it's like they are number one we're number one let's tee it up so I thought he was pressing a little bit I'm in the same vein with you and Dan I agree double down continue to play the way you've played all season long because that is where your success rate lies but also like I don't expect to it to be off and miss, miss sure. some of those throws. Um, ultimately, that we've seen him make all season long. So I, that's the most important thing, what you said, Dio, is the fact that he needs to come out with the same level of confidence. He's going to see different defense. Now, let me say this, y'all. Uh, I know Devontae Adams was playing last week and Derrick Card. They tore him up in man-to-man. So I expect the Chargers to at least throw a little bit of zone in there against Tyreek Hill uh, and Jalen Wilder potentially. But ultimately, Tua will have those opportunities again, and I think he'll pl- he'll play freely and hit those shots that we uh, have grown accustomed to seeing him hit.
2: Yeah, I mean the Chargers should throw some zone in there, especially with Tyree Kill. He could be a problem. He's averaging the most Jesus, yards per route against play man, man okay. coverage in a season <laughs> since we started tracking that <laughs> back yeah, in RPO 2016. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, the Bengals are the only team to beat Patrick Mahomes three times. This Bengals defense got to him last week. They sacked him twice. Also, Travis Kelsey had an uncharacteristic fumble. Patrick Mahomes doesn't enjoy playing these Bengals, and Joe Burrow does he? Frustrated. In this game, for sure, slamming the helmet. And so, on to this week, right? Sunday, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs will be taking on one of the league's best defenses. Mm -hmm. This season, the Broncos' defense ranks top three in the league with points allowed, yards per play, third down conversion percentage, and red zone efficiency. The offense is one thing, but that Broncos' defense is unreal. Mina, how do you see the Chiefs trying to attack this this tough Denver defense?
5: You know, Laura, the Chiefs obviously had a disappointing outing against Cincinnati. Uh, But one thing that they did very well was run the football. I came away from that game thinking, Isaiah Pacheco, that is your number one running back. He was especially great running into light boxes, 5.4 yards per clip. And I expect the Denver Broncos to really offer up those opportunities. They stacked the box at the second lowest rate in the NFL. The Chiefs showed a willingness to run last week, and I think they should this week because it'll set them up for many second and thirds, second and third and manageables uh, if they run the ball well as they can against this Denver defense. Man,
4: that's such a great point. Not only that, because again, like I I think Mina's point of the shell defense and their commitment to doing it, I agree, it was really good versus Cincinnati. I would screen. The heck out of the Broncos. Mm -hmm. You have to respect defenses. You just have to. And this is one of those defenses that it's really difficult to find a flaw in. Can we block them? Sometimes. You know, can they play coverage in the intermediate world? And and can they cover on the perimeter? Yeah. Do they have really good blitz packages? Yeah. Can their one-on-one patent? So, at some point, you got to sit there and go, well, let's live in the screen game. And I think also, like, allowing Juju to work in small spaces, his physicality, Patrick Mm -hmm. trusts him with some of those short completions, as Mina points out, you run the ball on first down efficiently, and then you can get Juju on second and six for a four- or five-yard game. But early down screens, that's one of the things that helps the Chiefs do. So often teams wait till third down to run screens. It makes me want to lose my mind. Run screens on first downs, yeah. you, you know, like and, and that keeps defenses off balance. Patience. I think that's a key, yeah. yeah.
2: Mm.
6: I love that, D.O., because it's efficiency as well. It gets him some high – high percentage throws early in this game. And last week, we talked about it coming off of the game against Cincinnati. I felt like Pat got a little bit back to pressing a little bit as opposed to taking the three to five yard check downs or even routes that were underneath that could have went for first downs. I think he'll acknowledge that be a little bit more efficient and understand too, like this is Patrick Mahomes. He's going to find explosive play throughout a duration of a game. He just has to pick and choose those wisely. At times, he got himself in trouble against Cincinnati, throwing in some coverage, and sometimes we saw it work out. So you never want him to get away from that. But I thought he missed a few opportunities underneath to just pick up some first downs or just to give themselves some favorable second and third down situations playing into what Mina said, the way Pacheco was running the football. So I think this is a game where he stays explosive, but some of those misses that we talked about previously, uh, even last year early in the season that he wasn't taking, I think he takes some of those, soften that Denver defense up, and then that'll give him his opportunities downfield.
2: Yeah. You know, guys, this Denver defense is dominant, but Patrick Mahomes, this might be like the perfect recipe for him to get a nice bounce back too. He's a perfect nine and zero against the Broncos. It's hard to do. Never in lost in his one. career. He's never lost to him. Isn't that wild? He I mean, played good he last, year last year against year. him in well, the been playing, Right? We, I did that, that game. game. Yeah. yeah.
6: They've and been they playing with a bunch of. They've been, been playing with a bunch of Dan Orlovsky's at quarterback. Wow. That's the problem. So we're
2: doing that today?
6: Yeah. that's Okay. We're doing it today. Yeah, that's from yesterday. I don't forget.
2: Well, that's because he had a short tie on yesterday. All right, we're just getting started on NFL (laughs) Live. The Eagles offense has been unstoppable this season. Dan is going to tell you how the Giants (laughs) may be able to slow him down. That's why Swaggy was like, I'm not wearing a tie today. Plus, with Von Miller out and a beat-up offensive line, can the Bills win the Battle of the Trenches this time around against the Jets? We'll be right back on NFL Live.
3: Pre game headquarters is brought to you by Domino's. Get a taste of variety when you order off the Domino's mix and match menu.
1: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
2: NFL Live is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Today, a congressional committee released its long-anticipated report on the Washington Commanders and owner Daniel Snyder. The committee concluded that Snyder, quote, permitted and participated in the team's longtime toxic work culture and that Snyder and the NFL tried to block the committee's efforts. Investigative reporter Tisha Thompson has more. The House Committee on
8: Oversight and Reform released its findings after a 14-month investigation of the Washington commander's toxic workplace culture under owner Daniel Snyder. The 79-page report says the NFL buried the findings of its own investigation and was complicit in efforts by Snyder to obstruct the congressional inquiry.
9: We saw efforts that we've never seen before, at least I haven't, and uh, where, where he was intimidating the workforce and the executives, anyone who spoke out. He had private investigators go to their home. He fired women.
8: Representative Carolyn Maloney chaired the committee, which released video of a private investigator attempting to collect information about a former cheerleader. The committee also released the deposition of Washington's former general manager, Bruce Allen, who said he too received a visit from a private investigator. Allen testified that Snyder told him he wanted private investigators to follow NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and that Snyder added, I'm going to find out something about him. ESPN reported in October that Snyder has bragged to associates that he's collected dirt on Goodell and team owners to stave off any attempts at forcing him to sell his team. A commander spokesperson and the team's outside lawyers have denied the report.
9: I was surprised at the extent of it, but the cover-up and and the extremes of it, when we did finally have to go to a subpoena because Mr. Snyder was not cooperating, he hit out on his yacht.
8: He did eventually do his deposition. Your committee found that he could not recall or he could not remember details more than 100 times during an 11-hour deposition. What was your takeaway from that?
9: Well, he's selectively forgetting or uh, lying.
8: Maloney says a legal agreement between Snyder and the league prevented the release of more than 40,000 documents connected to the NFL's internal investigation by attorney Beth Wilkinson.
9: They were acting like they were doing something. Oh, look, we've hired Ms. Wilkinson. Then they turn around and fix it so that she can't talk. Her report is never gonna be made public and yet she was supposed to be hired to to address it.
8: What did become public? Emails from Bruce Allen's team account containing derogatory and racist comments made by former Las Vegas Raiders coach John Gruden. Allen testified that when he became aware of the leak last October, he called a senior NFL executive who indicated that the commanders were responsible for the leak. Allen said the NFL exec told him, we didn't do it at the league office it came out of their side
2: an nfl spokesman contacted by espn thursday said we have not seen a copy of the report and will decline to comment at this time attorneys for the commanders have attacked the committee's report, saying it is one-sided and there are no new revelations. We bring in investigative reporter Tisha Thompson for more with Mina Kimes. And Tisha, you've gotten a statement from the NFL. What can you tell us?
8: I, I I just got it, so I'm reading it off of my phone. It says the NFL is committed to ensuring all employees of the NFL and the 32 clubs work in a professional and supportive environment that is free from discrimination, harassment, or other forms of illegal or unprofessional conduct. It then goes point by point. It's much longer than statements I've received in the past on this issue. It goes point by point uh, uh, refuting what the committee report states in, in that 79 pages. One line that I do see that I think is of interest is it says, far from impeding the investigation, the common interest agreement, which is that agreement we just referred to in the story, enabled the NFL efficiently to assume oversight of the matter and avoided the potential for substantial delay and inconvenience to witnesses. So we will continue to update our story online with, with many more details that are in this statement.
2: Yeah, of course, you can find that online as well if you're looking for more information. It, it, Tisha, has Dan Snyder resumed operation of the team?
8: So when he did his deposition in July, his testimony, of which we've reviewed as part of this report, He told investigators that he was receiving updates from team president Jason Wright and that he was providing advice, quote, when needed, and that he had been having meetings with head coach uh, Ron Rivera about the, quote, future of the
2: team. Mina, what's your reaction to all of this?
5: Well... We've been talking about the story for a long time, right? It goes back to the initial reporting in the Washington Post about the harassment of cheerleaders, the harassment of female employees, reporting that Daniel Snyder himself knew about it, that he engaged in sexual misconduct himself, he's been accused of that, and then intimidated witnesses. And throughout all of it, uh, it seems to me that the NFL has escaped the brunt of the criticism. I mean, I'm talking like real, sustained, intense criticism, the sort of criticism we saw during the Ray Rice scandal so, my reaction to the report is that in particular has to change. Because what we have here is not just an owner who's engaged in frankly disgraceful behavior over the course of many years, but a league that has been complicit, a league that has enabled him in their inaction. The report lays out how the NFL knew about the intimidation, how the NFL Uh, in their common interest agreement with Tisha mentioned, allowed him to essentially interfere blocking the release of documents. An NFL that let him negotiate the terms of his punishment, the report says half of that fine he could donate to charity and potentially write off. None of that is accountability. None of it is acceptable. And people always say, well, what now? Nothing ever happens. What needs to happen? Here's what needs to happen. Every time Roger Goodell is available to speak, every time the other 31 owners are available to speak, they need to be asked about this. They need to be asked, why are you okay with having this owner and who's committed a whole of this behavior amongst your ranks? They are the ones who ultimately need need to hold him accountable and all we can do is try to hold them accountable for their own inaction.
2: Yeah, Mina, very well said, and it's also worth pointing out that the owners are the ones that hold the real power even over Roger Goodell himself. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask, what happens next, Tisha?
8: Well, This is a chapter that is closing in a much larger story. The congressional investigation is essentially over. Republicans are taking over in January and have already indicated that they're not going to continue this investigation. However, over the 14 months that this has been going on, it has generated other government investigations, including the D.C. Attorney General, who has launched a civil lawsuit against the team and the league and Snyder. There is an investigation going on with the Virginia Attorney General, There is a uh, investigation happening with the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of Virginia, according to sources, uh, that is a criminal inquiry. And of course, there is the Mary Jo White investigation that started in February after women testified um, in front of Congress. And that is the NFL's second internal investigation looking into Snyder and the commanders.
2: It's also worth reminding everyone that the news came out relatively recently that Daniel Snyder was looking to sell the team and started the actions necessary to do so. Thanks so much to Tisha Thompson, investigative reporter here, for joining us today, and thanks to Mina for your thoughts. Still to come on NFL Live, the Bengals have been rolling as of late. Thanks to Joe Burrow's fourth-quarter heroics. Mina's going to tell us why it's been about the quarterback's legs and not his arms. Stay tuned. You're watching NFL Live, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook.
1: Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
2: It's V Week at ESPN when we partner with the V Foundation to highlight the urgent need for cancer research. This is game changing research that helps save lives. You can join the fight against cancer by visiting v.org slash donate and a reminder that 100% of your donation goes directly to cancer research. The week 14 Monday Night Football matchup has NFL sack leader Matthew Judon and the Patriots in Arizona taking on DeAndre Hopkins and those Cardinals. Eight Eastern on ESPN, ESPN Deportes and the ESPN app. The Manning Cast back on ESPN 2. Coverage begins with Monday night countdown at 6. It's time to go on, Trend. I'm gonna present a current trend in the NFL. One of our analysts will tell us if it continues. This week. So we start in Seattle, where the Seahawks' run defense has been struggling. Pete Carroll's like, come on. Anyway, since week 10, (laughs) their defense is allowing the third most yards per rush and second most yards after contact per rush. So, Mina, do you see this trend with Seattle's defense continuing against the Panthers on Sunday?
5: You know, I think it could, Laura, because here's the thing about that rat bad run defense. It came against some of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL, the Rams, the Bucks. Both of those teams are struggling to run the football until so they came, ran into Seattle. Now, here comes the Carolina offense that's been really successful on the ground lately with Deonta Foreman, so unless Seattle can get some things tightened up uh, in their front seven, I think Carolina will have success on the ground.
2: On to the Eagles and Jalen Hurts, who's been excellent with the deep ball this season. On passes 20-plus yards downfield, Hurts leads the league in both QBR and touchdowns. On Sunday, he'll face a Giants defense that's been great at taking away the deep ball, allowing the third-lowest QBR on such passes this season. So, Dan, how do you see this Giants defense trying to combat the Eagles?
4: Yeah, create and then win. they they got to create edges or angles one-on-one matchups for their individual pass rushers, that they have individual good ones, and then take advantage of it. Change pressure. So the right guard, center, and right tackle are responsible for those three guys to their right. Left guard and left tackle are responsible for two of the three to their left. Now, this is the change pressure I call. The backside defensive end, he's going to drop. The inside linebacker is going to pressure. That's going to force the offensive line on the left to step down. There's the one-on-one or unblocked guy for Kayvon Thibodeau, but it's only a four-man rush. They still have people in coverage. And then overload front with coverage. Three guys really from the center all the way over. So center, left guard, right guard and right tackle got to go that way. That creates a one-on-one. But look at they could double the receiver up top. They could play three over two on the bottom. And then one of those guys, because the matchup that was created or the one-on-one at the edge or something like that, has to win. They can't just think that they're going to line up against Philadelphia's offensive line with a a quote-unquote traditional defensive front. And Marcus knows this and think you're going to win. It's going to have to be some of those overload fronts that they create that one-on-one. But my point is this. You're not going to have a ton of success sending guys, like five or six guys, that often. Because it's really difficult to match up on the back end. So those change pressures, those simulated pressures, those overload fronts give them their best opportunity to somewhat slow down this incredibly difficult Eagles offense.
6: I love that, Dio. I love what you're talking about. Uh, wh- what you're talking about is the defense actually changing the responsibility of offensive linemen yeah. before the snap of the ball yep. with those alignments and having those guys think as they try to run throughout the play. I'm going to focus on the deep pass as well. I think this is one of the essentials of Jalen Hurts' game Is his willingness to put the ball in harm's way and having that trust in his guys, especially A.J. and Devontae, to make a play for him. We looked at the Washington Commanders, and when they won this football game, it was because they won some of those 50-50 ball matchups. You know that they are going to take shots. Jalen is doing a phenomenal job, not only with ball placement, but giving his guys an opportunity to make plays. If you are going to still possess, and, and look, I believe that's the only way that you can have success against Philly. You got to steal possessions, turnovers, run the ball successfully. Same formula that the commanders use. And that is kind of what the New York Giants like to live in. They like to live in a world where Saquon Barkley is having a tremendous amount of success. They don't give up the D ball as when we came into this part of the segment. But ultimately, it's players over plays. When that ball is in the air, those guys on the back end got to make the play as opposed to letting A.J. Brown head
2: top (laughs) them. <laughs> we don't want that. I mean, at least if you're the Giants. Okay, this season. I'm in mean, volleyball Eagles,
6: mode today. Guys. I know you are. Okay. Look at
2: that volleyball, volleyball dad today. life. Right. This yep. season, the Eagles yep. have the third most tight window receptions on passes 20 plus yards downfield. They win those 50-50 passes, as you talked about, Marcus. Yep. Uh, all right, time now for some top storylines. <laughs> we begin in Atlanta. Adam Schefter, what more can you tell us?
3: Well, the Falcons are making a quarterback change, Laura. They're on a bye this week, but when they come back from their bye next week, Desmond Ritter will take over as the starting quarterback from Marcus Mariota, who is yet to throw for at least 250 yards in a game this season. And at 5-8, and eight, Arthur Smith, the head coach, figures it's time to take a look at Desmond Ritter to see what they have in their rookie quarterback, who will be given the chance to become Atlanta's starting quarterback once the team returns from its bye. Meanwhile, the Titans' former first-round draft pick Caleb Farley underwent back surgery today. He's going to miss the rest of the season. He is expected to make a full recovery to be ready for the offseason, but here's a player who's had back issues, who's had other injury issues that has to be a concern for Tennessee for a very talented player. And meanwhile, the Raiders' running back Josh Jacobs is listed as questionable for tonight with a calf injury just like he was the previous two weeks. And just like the previous two weeks, he was out there playing, dominating, doing Josh Jacobs type things. It'll be the same story tonight. He will play despite that questionable injury designation. Despite the fact that the calf is not fully healthy, Josh Jacobs will be out there for the Las Vegas Raiders.
2: That calf isn't slowing him down. All right, thanks, Adam, for the latest. Thank you, Laura. And we continue on with the game tonight. Let's get a fan duel same game parlay from Mina Come on, MK! Mina, let's go through it! Get some people some money. Okay, Derek Carr, Uh over-under 225 passing yards tonight.
5: This is over for me, Uh, not just because Derek's averaging 248 yards per game this season, but because where things have been trending with him, Laura, he's been playing much better over the last few games. I think some of that has to do with he's getting better protection. It's also because he's been airing it out more in recent weeks, and I expect that can continue against this Rams defense. All right, Adam just told us Josh Jacobs is playing, despite the cap, over mm-hmm.
2: under 80 rushing yards for Jacobs
5: under. I don't feel great about it because Josh Jacobs has been amazing. He's got 3 straight games of 100 plus yards, but those came against two of the worst run defenses in the league. The NFL actually, or probably the Rams actually have the 5th best run defense in the NFL. There's also that injury, so I'll take under a little bit reluctantly.
2: Man, Mina's upset. I mean, M- M- Mina's making Dan really upset. Dan was over here. I would have thought that was bit, yep. shooing over. He-, he was like, "Oh, nope, never <laughs> mind. He just says
5: over all the time. He wants to say over, it, and
2: right. then he's wrong. You've been more right on this. Okay, does Devontae <laughs> Adams score a touchdown in this one? <gasps>
5: Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Um, Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey is an incredible marquee matchup. I kind of think Devontae Adams is going to get the better rim the way things have been going with these two players. He's also been averaging about a touchdown a game, so I expect him to score.
2: All right, there you go. Thanks to Mina for all the latest there. And you've heard our picks. I'm betting it. Now you can use those or make your own to build a same-game parlay with FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook. Get rich. We got more coming your way on NFL Live, including Dan's favorite part of the week: Let's the go. horses are here. The Dan wagon is back. These are the previous winners. Who's gonna get the honor today, Dan?
4: Man, that Marcus Mariota one don't look great right now. I know. Desmond Ritter, go stay hot. Go stay hot.
2: Hey, you said it, man. Here's
4: the clue. Here's the clue. Don't don't go away yet. Uh-oh, uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Stephen A. Smith has got the, uh, his best friends got.
0: Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contacts writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contacts' best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contacts' expert live customer support.
2: And giddy up. Come on. Yeehaw.
4: We got to get a Dan Wagon in. But you mean what I mean? Josh Allen, welcome to the Dan Wagon. Matthew Stafford's on the freaking Dan Wagon. Jonathan Taylor. Javante Williams. Najee
2: Harris on Woo. the Dan Wagon. Did anyone notice those weird things Dan was doing with that pony? It's so bizarre. Kind of soft. I think that's an exaggerated take, with all due respect to Dan. Mr. Swagoo
4: yes. putting a defensive guy on. Yes. Here's Aww. the mistletoe. This is a pretend mistletoe. Can I get
8: to kiss? No. <laughs> Just
4: try to find guys who are playing really well and put them on. Our producer, Mark Eisman, calls is the dumbest segment that we do <laughs>
2: We ain't had it mean, in a minute, man. Yeah, like, it's time. The last player on the Dan wagon was Joe Mixon. It feels like forever yeah, ago. Come on, Joe, come yeah, back. Yeah, come on. Okay, it's time before, to redeem yourself. Before, yeah, but before I give it
4: away, I'm going to give
2: everybody at home a
4: chance to guess. Maybe Mina and Marcus as you well. You tried Two to hands. do this
2: before the break and the, we just cut you off. The <laughs>
4: initials are the same as a great sandwich chain. Also, the initials chain. are the same as Stephen A. Smith's fake best friend. Got any
5: guess? It can't be Justin Jefferson because that's close. too, he's too oh, famous close. to be on the like, no Wait, 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 you're you close,
2: it. Mina. It's the same. You thing have the right initials. Six, six hours. Josh Brandon. Jacobs. You are so
4: Josh
3: close. Jacobs. <laughs> so,
2: so
4: uh, Josh Jacobs. <laughs> so, the Raiders running back, everyone, they're hot, and this is the reason he's why. Power. He leads the NFL in rush yards right now. He leads the NFL in yards from scrimmage. He already... This year has the second most rush yards in a season in Raiders franchise history. Only behind Marcus Allen in 1985 when he won MVP. He's got 150 yards from scrimmage in three straight games. Six games this year with 150 scrimmage yards, one short of 1985. Marcus Allen and Mina, he set the franchise record for rush yards, which were 239 in yards from scrimmage, 303 against your Seattle Seahawks.
5: Old news. Yeah. Me, so we don't need to talk we're about we're it. We're on Dan. to week
2: 14. Come on. You know, Josh Jacobs, congratulations. You're balling. You're balling. I, I'm sure all Josh Jacobs wants in life is to be on the Dan Wagon, and he wants the horses. He's an Alabama guy, so he
4: knows it. about horses. I wonder where he stacks up when it comes to broken tackles in the NFL for back. We should
2: find out, Yeah, we could find that out. We'll get buggy on Dan that. We'll report Curse. back. And if he ends up stinking it up after joining the Dan Wagon, then we're going to officially decide the Dan Wagon's cursed. All right, let's continue on. Hey, remember when everyone decided the Bengals were done when they struggled out of the gate? The Super Bowl runner-ups are now on a four-game win streak and are forces to be reckoned with on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Joe Burrow continues to impress, and the Bengals coming off another big win on Sunday as a big reason for their success has been the play of Burrow in the fourth quarter. So this season, Burrow ranks third in QBR in the fourth quarter of games, is leading the league in both touchdown passes and first down rate. He's thrown the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter in each of the last two weeks against Kansas City and Tennessee. Big moments, he's clutching those moments. We know he's Joe Cool and all that jazz. But Mina, what has wowed you most about Burrow and the Bengals in recent weeks?
5: Well, you know, Laura, earlier this week after the Bengals beat the Chiefs, I talked about how much more patient the offense has become, how Joe Burrow has been so good at picking his spots underneath versus shell coverage. But another thing, another change, rather, that I neglected to mention is how good he has been – scrambling, and this is a really big part of their offensive success. Even if it's just a few scrambles per game. Look, he's not the fastest runner in the NFL, obviously, but he runs with great vision, patience, and timing. If the grass is there, he is going to take off. It's important, obviously, because defenses frequently fail to account for it, and it's especially important in the low red zone. Would you be surprised if I told you that Joe Burrow has more rushing touchdowns than Lamar Jackson, Marcus Mariota, and Daniel Jones this year? Now, a lot of that is, of course, because defenses aren't keyed in on stopping him, but it doesn't matter. The fact that they're keyed in on stopping him is why he should be running. Ah,
2: what if I told you? Okay, well, let's turn our attention to this week against the Browns. Of course, the Browns have Deshaun Watson back. He struggled. He was knocking some rust off last week. But Joe Burrow, 0 for 4 in his career versus the Browns. Why have the Bengals struggled against Cleveland, Swaggu?
6: Y'all ever heard of a dude named Miles Garrett? I know him. I know I've him. seen <laughs> him play a long time. And, and he has caused so many problems for this, this team. Look at Miles Garrett, uh, pass rush, runway against the Bengals, higher than anybody else Ooh. against any other team. Aaron Donald sitting there at 30 against the 49ers but he's been a one-man wrecking crew. And then, too, like, this has been a part of the struggle for the Cincinnati Bengals, why, to me, it was so extraordinary that they were able to get to the Super Bowl last year with the way that their offensive mm-hmm. line played. And that just shows the greatness of Joe Burrow, these skill position players, and that defense that gets left out of the conversation. But more importantly, they were a straight drop-back team. Like, the things that we're talking about, what Mina just talked about with Joe Burrow's legs, what we talk about with him taking the underneath against shell coverage, the willingness to run the football, they haven't been doing that and that's allowed Miles Garrett to take advantage of protection mm-hmm. and when he gets those one-on-ones. So now with different elements of this offense, I don't expect Miles Garrett to have the same type of success. Now, with that being said, like let's keep this in context. Miles Garrett probably will get home. He probably <laughs> will make a few plays, but he's facing a different offense with a different approach which in turn should help the Cincinnati Bengals, but it's still, I believe, is going to be a very good game, an intriguing game because of what Cleveland does offensively as well.
2: Man, you know, if, it's, if you're Miles Garrett, like it's one thing to get home a few times. But Joe Burrow has been sacked 17 times in four games Ooh. against the Browns. And, yeah, that's third most by any quarterback against know. a single opponent since he entered the league in 2020. He's like, please don't make me face the Browns. And Miles, and Miles
6: Garrett, got nine of them. He got he say, has like, nine of them. But
2: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's 100% true, but it probably is. Is that, a, is that true? He's it's got nine? It's a buggy stat. Oh, amazing. It's a stat. You yep. know what? Swagoo is the researcher of the show sometimes, too, but it did come from Buggy. All right, up next. No, it's
6: Buggy. It's Buggy. I'm giving him credit. We've seen Josh
2: Allen be Superman plenty of times, but the Jets had his number a little bit this year. Is their defense his kryptonite? Well, we'll discuss that next. You're watching NFL Live, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook.
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: NFL Live is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. We'll get back to SoFi in just a bit, getting ready for tonight, but let's get to this game. The last time the Jets and the Bills met in Week 9, the Jets' defense stifled Josh Allen with their use of zone coverage. Allen went 11-for-23 on those plays, throwing two interceptions and no touchdowns. He posted just a 2.8 QBR against their zone defense, the second lowest mark he's had in any game of his career. It's also something the Jets defense has done all season, right? They've allowed the lowest QBR in the league when utilizing zone coverage. So, Mina, how do you see the Bills trying to attack this tough Jets defense this time around?
5: Well... For me, I think, um, you know, from the Bills' perspective, it starts with Stephon Diggs. It always starts with Stephon Diggs, <laughs> and that's why I think uh, the Jets' <laughs> job number one is stopping him. I mean, Part of that is because, frankly, you know, the Bills haven't really found a reliable number two pass catcher. Gabe Davis has his moments. Isaiah McKenzie gets open sometimes. They use James Cook. But we all know if, if you're able to take J- Stephon Diggs out of a play – You have a pretty good chance of shutting down this offense. Uh, And that's obviously a difficult task, but I think the Jets can accomplish it because looking back at Stephon Diggs' performances this season, uh, when defenses have had success against him, and I would look at, strangely enough, to the Lions game uh, for an example, it's when they're physical with him at the line of scrimmage. Look, Stephon Diggs is always going to eat, he's got some of the filthiest releases in the game. But when Josh Allen throws to him uh, versus press versus off coverage, It's a passer rating of 104 versus 140 when Mm. defenses play off. If you give him a cushion, he will work his way up and down the field and eat 10, 12, 15 yards at a time. I think you got to, you know, roll the dice a little bit and allow for the fact that he might beat you over the top every now and then. But if you can stop him, I think you can stop this offense.
6: Y'all know I hate, like, looking for stats and research, but Mina, that was fire right there. I did not know that you could be limiting Stefan Diggs on the press cuz we literally we always talk about his route running and his ability to get yeah. separation. I would think that's the guy you are most terrified to press outside of DeVonte Adams. But let me go another direction cuz that just blew my mind that Stefan Diggs is not <laughs> as effective. Don't mean he not effective, not He's as effective. He's still effective, I want to be clear. To <laughs> Jets D- yeah, yeah, still effective. Still <laughs> effective. I'm going to the Jets defensive front though cuz I think this is where where these teams level off and where you can find actually an advantage for the New York Jets in this game when you start going down the list of of most important things. And this Jets defensive line, as individuals, are going to find one-on-ones in the first game, y'all, they want them. Josh Allen had that on his mind. He threw two interceptions in this game, and it absolutely matters, especially when you start talking about the pressure coming up the center of the pocket. Another thing that they understand with these secondary, uh, with these second-level linebackers, with Mosley and Williams, They heat-seeking missiles now. When Josh Allen takes off with his legs, these guys can track him and hit him and put hits on him. So this defense is built physical and powerful, but they also built fast, which I think gives the uh, Buffalo Bills more problems than most that they play against.
4: Yeah, yeah, the more I've thought about this game throughout the day, the more, one, I honestly believe this is another must-win for Buffalo. Because Mm. of the Vaughn injury, I honestly they need the home field advantage and I think their chances of gaining home field advantage go up a ton tonight with the win. The more I think about this game I get overly concerned about this game for Buffalo and specifically Josh. So if you watch that first game against the Jets Marcus talked about the interceptions the five sacks the pass rush and then I remember RC and I doing a breakdown of Josh just being impatient right like trying to curb the competitiveness of pushing the ball downfield making the big play. And last week, he had to play without his left tackle, Deion Dawkins. And I don't know if he's going to play this week or not. The truth of this matchup is this. The Jets have a massive advantage defensive line to Buffalo's offensive line. Massive. My concern is this. If Dawkins doesn't play, Josh automatically goes to, I got to do whatever to win this game. Superman mode to win this game is a very fine line for him. And if he goes too far past it, he can get himself into big, big trouble against a really good defense. It's going to be – pertinent, paramount, that he kind of focuses on not going too far with his mindset of doing too much. All
2: right, let's get back to tonight as we get to Thursday night football. Rams and Raiders, we check back in with the Domino's pregame headquarters getting you ready for this game and SoFi Stadium, ready for a big one. Marcus, who do you have tonight and why?
6: Guys, I got to be honest. I never thought I would pick the Raiders to win a game this season based on how they looked <laughs> early in the year. I never thought that I would have them as the favorite against anybody. But the Rams are struggling even worse. And the, and the Raiders have started to pick this thing up, finding themselves. I was ready to fire Josh McDaniels and say he need to go back and be an OC. But Devontae Adams has found this groove. Derek Carr and him has built that rapport. And obviously what Dan pointed to with Josh Jacobs. I got the Raiders in this one.
5: Yeah, I've got the Raiders as well. They won last week for two reasons. Devontae Adams and that pass rush. And that pass rush, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones has another tasty matchup this week because they go against, of course, the Rams' offensive line full of backups. I expect them to get home, and I think Vegas will win as a result.
4: This is the easiest pick of the year. It's the Raiders. The Raiders, first of all, have Josh Jacobs. Second of all, Devontae Adams. Third of all, they're either playing against a third-string quarterback that has an ankle injury on a short week yeah. or a guy they just picked up off the street two days ago. This is the easiest pick. I mean, the Raiders just must win, and they will win it.
2: Trying to be confident in my pick having a tough time. Shut up. Yeah, I'm picking the Rams, guys. You're do a Stupid, yeah, you're Mookie. Mookie. Change you're your right. pick. You're I mean, right. the Rams. The of I mean, dumb yeah. This uh, well, I don't know, guys. Maybe right like. To no, I'm not gonna be right. I'm not gonna be right, but maybe I will be. Okay. What if Baker Mayfield? You don't have to don't sacrifice think he's yourself start. for us. Today. I do sacrifice. That's how much I love you guys. Okay, I sacrifice myself. But here's the reality. I'm fully prepared to eat crow tomorrow, and I'm sure I will be. But what if Baker Mayfield comes yeah. in this game and, like, gets it going we'll a little bit? Then I don't know. I'm going to watch <laughs> NFL
4: Live tomorrow because <laughs> if he
6: does If he crow. do, we'll here, everybody the dollars oh, this Enjoy Thursday day. night.
10: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI –